Hi everyone, I'm Yael and welcome to The Brass Ceiling. I am a trumpet player, but also a musician, and most importantly, a storyteller. I also happen to be a girl, and despite it being 2022, only 3% of trumpet players are female. Consequently, I've always had to navigate a male-dominated environment riddled with gender, age, and power dynamics. In other words, I've dealt with a lot of crap and I'm sick of it. The title of this podcast, The Brass Ceiling, is really just a play on the phrase, The Glass Ceiling, since female brass players struggle due to social barriers that are preventing them from thriving in this niche, just as women and essentially all non-heterosis white men have to navigate countless systems that weren't built with them in mind. I want to use this space to talk about our stories and our musical journeys, but I also want to use this platform to crowdsource and workshop ideas to make the arts more equitable. The goal is to find that sweet spot that is fun and nostalgic, but also rigorous and forward-facing. I'm hoping that by sharing our experiences, by engaging in dialogue about the systems that need changing, and by making music more accessible through many walkthroughs of pieces, that we will in fact be shattering the brass ceiling together. I had so much fun doing this first interview with the one and only Theo Stevens. I first of all have to give them a massive shout out because they helped my vision become a reality by creating this podcast's incredible cover art. We go way, way back, all the way to middle school, and they are such a joy to talk to and get nostalgic with. We delved into their musical upbringing, leading up to their realization that they do not want to pursue a performance career, despite the arts being a key part of their identity, with the added complexity of how exploring their own gender and sexuality informed that decision and continues to shape their nuanced relationship with performing. We also touch on wanting more new material and pursuing diversity in the arts. Lastly, we broke down how by using non-musical objects to make music, the band Superorganism is inviting non-musicians to join the party. Hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, this is Yael, and welcome to The Brass Ceiling. I'm joined today by the wonderful Theo, and feel free to introduce yourself. Hi, hello. My name is Theo, and I am so excited to be here on The Brass Ceiling. Well, I wanted to kick things off by first of all saying that you have one of the most naturally beautiful singing voices that I've ever heard. And my first question was, how dare you? (laughs) How dare I? But like, actually, like, it, it was partially like going to gun that kind of enabled this for both of us. But we were both like freaking nerds, but you were also very smooth in a really weird environment that was gun. And <laughs> oh yeah, I feel like I wanted the origin story of singing and acting. And I feel like both of us have kind of been able to ride the wave of just having like natural ability, but then having those ego checks. Yeah. Just kind of happen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I started singing. Like, I, my mom likes to say that I was singing before I could talk. Um, so, like, when I was a baby, I would, like, coo in my crib or whatever. And my mom made sure that I learned, like, some classic little kid songs really young, like Annie's Tomorrow. And, wow. like, um, I really loved Que Sera Sera by Doris Day. I used to sing that in the car with my mom all oh. the time. Um and I entered choir quite young. I remember doing it at school, and then I did some out-of-school choirs, like 
at the Citywide Honor Choir I did for like a year or so, and I also did Cantabile. Oh my god, what um, a nerd. I know, big nerd. <laughs> okay, what, what was the age that you kind of realized that you were a better singer than most people? Like, when did that ego, like, when were you, like, aware? It was pretty young. Yeah. I think, like, I did, like, a talent show in, like, fifth grade. And I also got Charlie in yes. Willy Wonka that year. And I remember, like, at the auditions for Willy Wonka, just being surprised that other people couldn't sing the things that I could. Um... And it never really occurred to me that, like, I was, like, talented in that way. It was just, like, it's so much fun to sing that yeah. I was doing it all the time. Um, and then my whole life, I just have gotten that sort of validation of, like, oh, you're really good at this. And, like, everyone around me was telling me that I was really good. Because you were literally the call person. They were, like, choir, like, do it. Like, sing at the graduation, yeah. do it. Like, you know, it's, like, you yeah. were the call person. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, I sing... I sang uh, the National Anthem at our 8th grade graduation, and then I did sing at, like, the homecoming games. Right. And whatever, stuff like that, yeah. They're like, you can do it. Yeah. But, like, you're smooth and, like, with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was definitely, like, teachers just kind of knew that I could do things. Like, I did not audition to sing the National Anthem at 8th right. grade. Miss Fitzy walked up to me and said, hi, you're doing it. Well, that's the okay. thing. That, that was yeah. the thing. It was just, like, that kind of awareness on yeah. both ends. Um, I also just wanted to bring up, um, which we've talked about this, but I think it's, like, so funny that we just kind of reflect sometimes that we're so glad we didn't do the same thing. It would have been really bad. <laughs> It would have been horrible. It's just both of us have that really intense competitive streak. Yeah. Um, For, as, since always. Yeah, since, since always, yeah. forever. Um, as you know, I did play trumpet for a little bit in fifth grade. You know, I, I, like, a, I like a tune sometimes. I like yeah. it. <laughs> I karaoke, I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I'd love to hear you sing. I it's my favorite it. compliment when you say I have a nice voice. I'm like, wow. You do. You have it's, a lovely voice. I, have a, I can sing as a musician, um, mm. but, yeah, I'm so glad we don't do the same thing. It would have been a disaster. Like, we wouldn't be friends. Yeah. No. I mean, I think we could have been friends, but it would have been the kind of thing where we would not have been friends in high school. We would have been, like like, butting heads, and then maybe, like, we come to the same, like, oh, five years down the line, reunion, five oh, how reunion. are you doing, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're friends. I'm glad. Me too, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a disaster. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay, wait, so, singing, acting, singing. eventually musical theater. Yes. And then jazz. Yeah. Right, okay. Connect it for us. <laughs> I'll paint a picture. Yeah, please do. So, uh, I started, yeah, singing has been forever. I started doing musical theater in elementary school um, and continued that all throughout middle school. I did it in my, um, at JLS, there was a musical theater class that I took two years in a row, but then also I was doing it outside of school. Um, and I did not interact with jazz at all up until sophomore year of high school. When ding ding ding, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was in choir, obviously, um, and our teacher mentioned, "Oh hey, we need some singers for the swing dance because the jazz band 
you know, they have all these instrumentalists, but they don't have singers for these beautiful, big, big band swing songs. Yes. Um, and so I went and auditioned, and I literally, like, I learned the songs that afternoon and then went to the auditions. Um, and it blew my mind as I was learning them how beautiful they were. And yeah. after performing with the big band which i was, I was a part band. of just yeah, you plugging myself no as you should you have <laughs> just to. inserting as myself you, you gotta okay networking yeah um but i was so immediately taken aback by how different it was from like singing with choir for one thing like again the ego the competitive nature I love to be a soloist, but like... And you have the backup of the horns and all exactly, of it. Exactly, that's it. It's yeah. like singing with the choir is so different from singing with instruments because it's sort of like, in a way, it's like more exciting to be just one instrument of many, like voice as just an instrument, the same way that trumpet is an instrument, the same way that saxophone is an instrument. And I felt like playing with you guys really made me realize how much joy there is to be had in a music style that is playful, I think. And that is what jazz was to me in a big way, was like, it's not necessarily gonna be the same every time. It's not necessarily gonna be like, I don't know, quite as rigid as a lot of other kind of music that I've done. Um, yeah. And especially in the, the environment of like dancing, that was yeah. the best possible It was really fun. Like, it was. At, at, by senior year, people were hyping it up more than our prom. People were, like, yeah. so excited to go. Yeah. Which was just really cool to be a part of that. Because it seemed silly the first time we did it. And we're like, is anyone going to come? Like, what are we doing? And it got hype. And it's it like... Did. Yeah. Genuinely. I think as a singer, too, it's like, you guys... I don't know. There's, like, something to learn about being in a more, like, multifaceted, like, instrumental environment. Like, there's only so much you can do, I think, in a choir. That's also my own bias, but... No, I think you're completely right. And I think, like, in environments like, like, a big band setting, like, everyone often has their little moment to shine. And that is not really what happens most of the time yeah. in choral settings. Yeah. You know, you're one of the sea of voices yeah I um, love the one on a part thing it is really good for the ego and for like the individualism being like mm -hmm. one on a part you have the soloist you have every single person is super important in doing their own thing yeah which in a choir it's not really the case but there's yeah. and there's still a lot of teamwork even though you're only on your one part so that's really cool and then you wanted to study it in college I did yeah so after doing the swing dance for three years I really, really fell in love with jazz, and then I went and auditioned for a number of conservatories. I did also audition for musical theater schools. Mm, um, I forgot about so, that. So, yeah, while I was a senior, I went and auditioned in a lot of different places for both jazz and for musical theater, and I was accepted to a number of different places for either thing. That's and confusing. And so I really didn't make my choice up until, like, the last moment. Um and it was between berkeley and mcgill oh shit <laughs> i literally remember um <laughs> were they both for jazz or was berkeley for yeah, musical both theater for jazz. okay so you yeah. chose jazz mm -hmm. um and i remember Prashna was like ah berkeley's the coca-cola of music school he's not wrong <laughs> i know uh it's advertising and i admit like 
again, that competitive, that ego thing. I'm like, but Berkeley is like well known, like whatever. And I am really glad that I chose McGill in that it was like a more well-rounded experience than I think I would have had at Berkeley. Yeah. And led to where I am now, which is not studying jazz voice, but just doing it because I love it. Yeah. And having my academics be separate. But yeah, so you had this switch and you kind of were like, I love jazz. Do I want to do it professionally? Do I actually want to major in it? What was kind of like the tipping point of transferring out? Realistically, okay. So I was at McGill for two and a half years. And in those two and a half years, it became very apparent to me that while I obviously am so obsessed with performing and always will be, I did not love music theory. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of musicians run into this problem um, where the making music is the most joyful thing in the world. Yeah. And even getting into like, some music theory is still really, really exciting because it makes the making the music more nuanced and you're more informed about all the ways that you can make music. Um, but then getting into the nitty gritty, I found that it was a lot like math. Yeah. Um, and I am not a math person. I'm like deeply a creative person. Um, and I realized that, again, like the competitive thing in me really fed off the validation of being told that music was what I should do academically. Mm. Um, And then I realized that because I had always gotten that very specific validation, I had actually ignored a lot of the nuance of myself and a lot of, you know, things that I really loved doing within academics a lot more than music theory. Um, So for me, it's English in a really big way and art in a really big way. Yeah. And it was definitely a hard choice because, again, like, I'd been told that that's what I should do my whole life, basically. Yeah. Um, and it was a hard choice to make and on the other side of it, completely the right choice to make. Totally. It's also so, yeah, it's so confusing when you have all these outside voices mm-hmm. just kind of, like, projecting their own wants onto you because then you're, like, it's hard to also just kind of step back and be, like, what do I want? And I think I've also, I think both of us were always, like, good at what we did. We also went to, like, a nerd STEM school, but we were kind of, like, trying to be our own people. But it's also hard when that's, like, the status quo. And, like, people are, like, some people are, like, oh, like, are you going to do music? You have to do music. Like, this is your life calling. Like, how could you not? And other people are, like, that's so silly. Like, it's really confusing to hear so many kinds of voices. Absolutely. Um, And there's the whole aspect of, like, how do you feel about it? And I literally remember in high school... It was me and Andres in AP Music Theory with Mr. Lib. <laughs> God bless him. But we were all kind of like, ew. <laughs> like, we kind of hate this. But at least yeah. I had some background. Like, I'd taken, like, a baby intro course when I was at Interlochen, like, a year and a half prior. And yeah. I played a musical instrument, which definitely gave me a leg up. But the three of us were just kind of in the back, like, fuck this. And then when you yeah. guys booked the leads in the Music Man, you guys were like, we're out. Sorry. And I was like, guess it's just me and Lib. Um, But that was, I guess, kind of the first hint where we were like, maybe this, like, the formal study of it isn't for us. And, like, I think the conservatory environment kind of demands that. And, like, definitely when I was at Columbia, people still now are like, people assume I majored in music. 
I did not major in music. And the reason why I didn't was because I wanted to perform. Like I was a member of the music performance program. I played a ton as much as I could, but I was like, I'm not taking four semesters of ear training. I'm not taking four semesters of music theory. Like that's not what I do. That's not what I, that's not my calling. Um, And it's like, and also like, it's incredible that you came as far as you did. Like you literally got into a top music program without taking voice lessons. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. It kind of seemed like did the music theory, the voice lessons, the conservatory environment, it seemed like it kind of sucked away some of the joy and like the very like naive love of just like, I just like to sing. I love performing. Yeah. And honestly, like, yes, naive, but also just like pure. Yeah. Like in many ways, my love of performance is like one of the most inherent and like pure things that I have in me. Yeah. Um, and absolutely like you were saying like being in that very rigid environment is so so counterintuitive and so counter to the joy of performing the joy of making music because I understand there are people out there who love music theory who really find it so interesting and that is their calling that is like what they really love about music but it's not me it's very separate people think it's all like in one and I'm like those are very different callings and very different like music is broad music is not all-encompassing yeah completely yeah I feel like I was kind of lucky that I didn't end up going to music school or majoring in music because I think it would have burned me out or kind of like turned me off from it Whereas I kind of got to keep, like, the very pure love for it. Like, I'm just going to play in these orchestras because I love it. And I'm going to sit in the pit and make a bunch of friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to take lessons at Juilliard and then kind of, like, step in once in a while and see how miserable everyone else is. And then, like, step back out and go on the train back uptown. Like, I feel like I was able to kind of dodge a lot of the the bullshit. Um, Yeah. I was also going to ask, though, just because we're both, like, we have egos, how much of it is, like... How much of it was pure that was kind of like this purity that was kind of being taken away and how much of it was just like we're used to being really good at things and then Mm -hmm. music theory doesn't come to you immediately and it's like a shot to your confidence and your ego and you're like my raw talent got me this far why is this hard and it's still related to music and I'm feeling all of a sudden kind of like behind according to conservatory standards like did that also like rain on your parade? It definitely did, but I think there were a lot of things that, like, within my first year at McGill, I worked really fucking hard to try to, like, catch up on all the things that I felt that I was really behind on, because, like you said, I did get there really mostly just on raw talent, and immediately it was really clear to me that it wasn't just that I was behind, but also, like, I had a lot of peers who were really genuinely interested in what we were studying. And when I was trying to study with them and asking for help and trying to like, you know, understand how they could feel so passionate about music theory and about ear training and about all of those things that I was suddenly forced to do when I had never had to do them before. It was so apparent how we were different. It's honestly, I wonder like the alternate universe of like, what if you just went to Berkeley and just became a little singer songwriter? Listen, I think about that all the fucking time. Really? Because it almost <laughs> happened. Yeah. I, almost, I mean, I was accepted. I was like right. ready to go or whatever. 
I chose McGill and I still stand by that choice. Like I think living in Montreal was one of the most impactful things that has ever happened to me. And like all of everything that came with McGill was so what I needed to grow. Yeah. But I definitely think about the alternate universe of like, what if I'd gone to Berkeley and just like learned sound production right. and learned all these things, you know? Yeah. It would have been different. And honestly, I don't think it would have pushed me nearly as hard as McGill pushed me towards real growth and self-understanding. Yeah. And also showing you, I think it's like as impactful to learn what you don't actually want. Because yeah. then that leads you to what you do actually want. And now you're in SoCal, went from the tundra to the warmth, Ugh, studying to be a teacher. <laughs> yeah. It's and really I mean, cool. I did always want to be a teacher. That was always like the goal long term. I think there are a million different, this is what we were talking about before, but there are a million, million different ways that your life is going to twist and turn that you cannot predict. Yeah. And for a long time, I definitely thought Broadway was going to be my calling. And Broadway. I definitely thought, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and I definitely, you know, then I thought, well, maybe a music teacher. Mm. And then again, as I got to McGill and was, you know, having the time of my life performing with people. I loved performing with my jazz choir and just like in little concerts with people. I had a band in Montreal, so many wonderful things, but the music theory was never it for me. And I knew very quickly it wasn't it for me. And I think Berkeley would have kept me in the dark a little longer in terms of yeah. realizing that it wasn't right for me. Yeah. Cause you would be like, Oh, this is great. I can mostly do what I like, which is just like sing and hang out. But then yeah. eventually it would kind of creep up. the same wall. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. McGill honestly like, was probably more transparent. Like, this is what it takes. This is the conservatory environment. Yeah. If you want a traditional, like, music career kind of vibe. Well, I think it's, like, so possible, though, to, like, make music at a high level and not do it for money. And I'm like, I'm right now on tour for all the (laughs) listeners out there. (laughs) Um, You gotta humble brag. No, but it's, it's interesting because... Yeah, it definitely does change your relationship with it. Once you do it professionally for money, I could like get a fancy degree in it, whatever. It mm. changes things. And I think mostly not for the better for people who've always done it because they just purely love it. Um, yeah. Yeah, like it's really funny. Like I went in because I, I was supposed to work a fancy finance job, make a ton of money. And then I was expecting a really big pay cut. And I was like, this is like, an action of love and of rejecting like whatever this horrible job I was going to sign up to do. Um, and I make like a third of what I was going to make had I done the finance gig, but it's funny even now, like everyone is so money obsessed and like, you think it's going to be just very like free flowing and everyone's really cool and hip. And it's a lot of really jaded, like middle-aged to old men who are like, I don't know. Yeah. It's really weird. And I kind of hate that it's not as pure anymore and you kind of have to do it because you have to, not because you want to, where I've always been someone who's like, I'm just going to do it because I want to. Because you love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I still love it. And it's really cool. I still get goosebumps almost every night, which is like so cute. I'm just like, wow. Yeah. Like we get standing ovations and I just like feel a rush and Mm. I found a way to just kind of get over playing the same show every night by kind of realizing that different people are seeing it every night and are enjoying yeah. it and are like getting that moment of levity and laughter and joy that they've been devoid of for like two years. So like, oh, God, yeah. 
you find ways to like make it through, but doesn't mean it's not really hard and really draining and like changes your relationship with it. And it sounds like we both kind of went through that same mindset shift, but in very different environments. Yeah, I think, I don't know, something that I think about a lot is like, with a lot of my oldest friends, I am sort of like, I'm a profoundly different person than I am than we when we met. Yeah. <laughs> and that could be scary, but instead with like you and like Nick and like like people that I met in middle school yeah. who've seen all that progress for me, I've also watched your progress and it's really beautiful that like we've definitely grown so far from who we were, but I think we've grown in congruent ways. Yeah. And that's kind of beautiful. Yeah, I was thinking about it earlier, too. I was like, wow, it's kind of a miracle that we're still friends over 10 years later. Yeah. And it's like, doesn't matter how far apart we are, if we're just doing different things or if we haven't spoken in a while, like, we pick up so easily. And it's something to be Absolutely. so grateful for. And, like, plugging our little renaissance moment, we were just doing arts and crafts <laughs> and watching Queen's Gambit for, like, a multi-day marathon. Like, that's the yeah. best. It's beautiful. And I was like, we haven't hung out since, like, COVID started, but, but may I have this dance? Now. Yeah. can now. And it's, it's great. Yeah, it's yeah. the best. I'm super grateful for it. Um, I'm kind of interested in how um, you're now kind of finding this path of arts is, like, still a passion and a calling, but fun and not yeah. as pressured. And, like, I, my main thing, I'm trying to, pursue things like in the arts or kind of creative things that aren't just trumpet anymore especially because like that's all I do and it's kind of monotonous now like for work so I'm like okay I still want to like create and playing the same show over and over again is kind of just like mechanically going through it but it's not as like creatively fulfilling anymore right yeah so I'm like I have a little newsletter with like updates that I'm doing now and I have a little podcast thing that I'm trying to do with this um and just like trying to make up projects for myself to keep myself like engaged and using my creative juices I don't know but I feel like (laughs) you have always been very artsy and very like I like singing but I also want to learn the ukulele but I also love crafts and I also like you're a really impressive artist and like all of these things whereas I've always been very densely focused on just like the trumpet Um, but it's weird because I feel like nothing really replaces performing. Yeah. And I kind of just wanted to ask, like, does doing crafts or really appreciating a good TV show, you're also the most fun person to watch TV with. I stand by it. (laughs) But like, but like all these things that like, I feel like you have so much love for like all of the arts. Like you appreciate so many things you love, like partaking in all of it. And it's like, does that replace performing? And if not, are you okay with that? Nothing will ever be performing. Yes. And I feel like this is something that we both learned super young. Performing is the best, most freeing and exhilarating thing in the world. It's like an adrenaline junkie thing. Completely. Yeah. Completely. It's do or die. It's signing yourself up for that. Yeah. Over and over again. I do think that I am and have always been someone who really thrives under pressure. Mm. Um, And performing is kind of like the most exciting kind of pressure, especially something like, again, like I did musical theater from a really young age. So like you rehearse and you rehearse and you get better until by the time the performance rolls around, it's not an anxiety of, can I do this? It's an anxiety of, I can do this. And 
now I get to show it off yeah. in front of everyone. And also, like, I view auditions the same way any audition I've ever done. I'm honestly not anxious during the audition. Beforehand, I will be. Yeah. Afterwards, I will be. During the audition, I'm fucking flying. Yeah. Because it's just getting to show up and say, hi, I've done all this prep work. I know that I'm talented. I know what I bring to the table. Let me show you. It's not only exhilarating, but also very like centering and affirming and like in a self-worth and self-love sort of way, kind of being like, this is what I can do. Totally. It's like yeah. I'm about to wow all of you. Take a seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much. Um, um, do you kind of know what you want, like singing or music or musical theater to play in your life going forward? I don't know, honestly. And yeah. I think that's been one of the hardest things. And like, like you said, I have a million different passions. Yeah. Um, but I think for a long time, I did the same thing that you did, which was say that I could only have the one. And my one thing for most of my life was singing. Mm. And over time, all my other passions kind of burst through that mindset and said, okay, I can't suppress that interest anymore. I can't hold myself back from doing these other things because I supposedly can only have the one thing. Yep. And I don't know exactly what role any of my passions are going to play. And I think, again, life takes many twists and turns. Makes it interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, same. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be done after this tour. Maybe I'll take another tour. Maybe I'll, like, play a bit, find some kind of balance. But, yeah, I'm, like, not sure if I'm going to have a full-on career playing the trumpet. Probably not. But mm-hmm. I know that, like, the arts and music, I want them to have some kind of a role in my life forever. And it's Absolutely. just going to be us taking this time to try to figure out where it's going to stick. And it's fine if it goes through many phases. Yeah. yeah. I think that is a big thing. Like... It's fine and even good if there are many phases. I don't know, the whole like, it's not a phase, mom, it's who I am, like that sort of mindset is a joke, but also I really genuinely believe like every version of myself that I have been has led up to who I am now. Yeah, totally. Every version that I will continue to be is gonna be, you know, a better iteration and a more true iteration and no phase is wrong and no phase is just a phase (laughs) if that makes sense yeah um yeah i'm actually interested you don't have to talk about this slash i can edit it out slash whatever um but i'm just curious if you could speak a little bit about your relationship with like gender and sexual identity and queerness and how that like weaves into like music journey and stuff too yeah i think it's incredibly integrated yeah like very relevant again singing from a really young age i was for the majority of my life a soprano i think at this point i'm a little older my voice has deepened a little bit so i would probably call myself like a second oh second sop sort of something um but my performance identity for most of my life has been very feminine. Mm-hmm. And again, that's what I got validation for. Those are the roles that I was cast in. Yeah. So like, you know, senior year, you were in the pit for Music Man. Yeah, so fun. And I was so fun. in Peru. Yeah. And that 
sort of has been my whole musical theater life has been playing these very feminine roles which like I was applauded for and I really enjoyed playing them in many ways just because like for the majority of my life like I didn't really examine my relationship with gender I, I realized that my relationship with sexuality was like more complicated pretty young like I don't know I mean, I was, like, kissing girls in elementary school, but <laughs> I didn't, like, know that meant anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in, like, seventh grade, I remember um, Olivia Eck came out as bi, and I was like... I was oh. there. It was at your birthday party it or sleepover. Was. Yeah. And we were like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my God. And I literally, like, I remember thinking to myself, like, holy shit, that's something I could be? Mm. Um, and she was a trailblazer. Just, like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but being bi and then now figuring out and knowing that I'm non-binary has definitely been, like, at odds with my performance life yeah. in many ways. Because to be a successful performer, you have to be marketable. It's so typecast. It is. It's fit into this box, yes or no. Yeah, and you know what? I did a really good job of making myself fit into a box yep. for most of my life. Yep. And got the roles. Yeah, no, I got the roles. Yep. I like got the solos. I, I was a very successful performer and like that was really affirming in many ways, but also like for instance, like in coming out as non binary and like changing my name, like that yeah. definitely has been like a thing of like, well, if I ever release music, like okay, now it has to be under this new name and, like, mm. that changes, like, plans that I made when I was five. <laughs> and, right. And, like, also if I, you know, am continuing to be a performer in the musical theater space, like, do I feel comfortable playing feminine roles? Because that's probably what I would be cast as. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely complicated my relationship with performing because now I have a whole big set of considerations that I didn't have before. Yeah. Um, when I was more comfortable putting myself in that box. Yeah. Actually, I wonder, because I wanted to also bring up, but for a completely different reason, how both of us also kind of at the same time, like last semester, you were probably for the first time ever not a lead in a show. Yeah. And I pretty much for the first time ever was not playing like first trumpet, all the attention like I wasn't getting that role either and we were both like this is hard this is interesting this is really different like we're doing the same activity yeah but it feels really different and Absolutely. I don't know I think on one hand it's kind of humbling and it's like important to not always have main character energy like oozing out but yeah. I'm also now curious like did part of that you think happen from like not only being a new kid at school but also like you just not see yourself fitting into any of the boxes? Like, were you just like, I'm no longer just the super feminine person who's going to go for the super feminine, like, sop lead? Yeah, no, definitely. I think, like, I auditioned for the show that I was in. I was in Antigone. Um, and I, at the auditions, specified that I am non-binary and I would be fine playing any character in the cast. But, mm -hmm. like... I might have a slight preference toward masculine roles. Mm. Um, and my director was super accommodating, super nice, and, like, 
she was wonderful throughout the whole process about like respecting my pronouns, respecting my identity, everything like that. Um, but it was definitely interesting where like I kind of saw her face like working. Yeah. Like, I could see the gears turning in her head of like, how do I place this person? Yeah. Um, I never thought about I, that. Yeah. And I ended up playing a role that was non-gender specific. So mm. it worked out really well. Um, but it isn't the lead because... I mean, I don't know that I would have gotten the lead, of course, but like, I you're good enough to though. History yes. of being the lead, yeah, and yeah. I knew that at least part of that consideration had to have been my gender. I would think so, and I don't know. It's it's interesting because like I feel like you probably went into that audition, and yeah, like even if they're really nice, like there's something that goes on in their head that's like, oh, like that means they're probably they don't want the female lead. Yeah, exactly. Or like, do they fit into that? Like, we need yeah. someone who's kind of, like, more quote-unquote conventional. Yeah. No, absolutely. Which kind of sucks. And, and, I mean, it does. I also, um, the last show that I was in, I played uh, one of the leads uh, in Head Over Heels. I was Phila Clea. Okay. And she happens to be one of the only characters who is, like, like stereotypically feminine and, like, her love interest is non-binary by the end of the show, but for the majority of it, he's just a guy. Uh. And, like, she's kind of the only, like, cis-normative character in that whole show. Fascinating. Which was hysterical that I had to play that. Yeah. And I think it did make me consider a lot um, how I do feel about playing, like, cis-normative feminine roles. Mm. Um, and that, albeit, was at the beginning of sort of my gender journey of, like, really feeling comfortable with myself and, like, that whole arc of realization. And I do think that I'm in a different place now, like, I'm more comfortable in my gender that I feel like if I were to play a feminine role, it would be an act, 100%. Yeah. Rather than something that I necessarily had to tie myself to. Yeah. Um, sort of like doing drag, you know, like... I can't, that must have been, I feel like for everyone kind of exploring their gender, it's all like so tricky and thought provoking and, but it's almost like this extra element. Yeah. Like you're literally a performer pretending to be someone. Yeah. It's like, it's very meta when you think about it. It is. It's a performance within a performance. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. You should really talk to Miller about their research about, um. Yeah, I should. Sexuality in theater specifically that's so fascinating yeah damn um well do you see yourself are you doing what are you doing this semester like arts wise are you in a musical are you um i am gonna be acting in my friend's senior um it's like a student written play that they've been working on um and so i don't know what role i'm gonna be playing yet because auditions haven't happened but that's what I'm going to be doing this semester. And then also, I am starting a band here, which is really Ooh. exciting. Um, I befriended some of the music kids. Yes! <laughs> you always got to find them. Exactly. Gotta, yeah. gotta, gotta. That's so um, fun. What kind of music are we talking? I uh, like indie rock kind of vibe. Cool. Love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's really exciting. And, like, we're starting to have, like, we're going to have, like, a first official, like, band practice soon. Yes. Yeah. Well, fun fact about me, I joined, like, an, a, an indie folk band, like, two days before we got sent home for COVID. What? But it was also so awkward. Nice. I feel like, because I only went to one rehearsal, 
And it was really awkward because I showed up. Like, someone was like, oh, I got your contact from someone. Like, would you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, this seems really fun. And then I show up, and the pianist in the band was this guy I had a crush on that summer. We were both studying abroad in Paris. Stop. And I had a huge crush on him. And we were out one night, and then he met a girl. And I, I don't know if they're still dating, but they started, like, seeing each other. And I was, like, my yeah, little, like, study abroad heartbroken girl moment. And then he was in the band, and I think he was the contact. And I was like, what? <gasps> oh, my God, the drama. Yeah, it was some drama. And then you left? Well, Yeah. <laughs> Damn. It was like COVID happened and I was like, I'm out. All right, peace. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fine. Um, not gonna lie, I would think about that for the rest of my life. It's not that serious. It was, it felt, <laughs> it was, it was like fun drama, you know? It was like that light heartbreak. We were like, oh no, man. I'm not saying it was more serious than it was. I'm just saying that I'm a romantic ass bitch. Right, and right. I 100%. I think about like strangers that I happen to sit across on the bus that's very like romantic i think about that all the time yeah i love that i love that about you yeah <laughs> you're a very romantic person even like your crushes in middle school you're like wow uh you mean me being in love with andres and charlie <laughs> and, and yeah yeah it was good stuff yeah. um it was they taught me a lot about myself and um, what I've learned is that my standards should be higher. Um, and also that I should actually know the person that I'm, like, crushing on. Like, actually try to, like, get to know who they are as people. That's fair. Charlie was really cute. Both of them were really cute, to be fair. Yeah. Oh, they were. Yeah. You're like, we look compatible. They're cute. They're into theater. End of list. That must be it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Those Damn. are the only criteria. Um, okay. I feel like there are two things I want to talk about about left and then we're done so fantastic first of all thank you for for indulging me i'm having a good time (laughs) i'm so happy oh my god i feel like you're indulging me also this is a wonderful collaboration okay well i love it um well okay one thing that i am trying to like keep thinking about and use this platform to kind of think about is Mm -hmm. yeah to kind of brainstorm how we make the arts more accessible and inclusive because arts equity is something i deeply care about and yeah, do you have any thoughts on what the arts are doing right now or what should be happening on its journey to being more inclusive and diverse? I don't know, like there are a lot of avenues that can come from this, but even from a non-binary perspective, from, I don't know, many perspectives, you have a lot of perspectives. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I have several. Um, okay, I think number one, this is a big pet peeve that I like, I started to be bothered by this in like high school where in choir we would get split up by voice parts, but it wouldn't be called voice parts. Okay. Like Mr. Lib, love him to death. Yeah. Had such a bad habit of saying, all right, women go over there, men go over there. Oh, wow. And practice your parts. Yeah. You know? And it's just not only inaccurate because again like I know now that I was never a woman but like Mm -hmm. there were other trans kids also in choir Mm -hmm. like I I think he no longer does this and like this is something that he's changed since but like I've been in a lot of different musical settings where that's the language that gets used yeah um and I think it's inaccurate because of trans people but also just like not specific like yeah so easily just say it's lazy sopranos altos oh tenors basses yeah 
It is. And it's such an easy fix that I'm like, okay, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Even also, like, thinking about how do we ideally work towards a standard where you have someone non-binary coming to audition and, like, the director doesn't have a double take. Even if they're non-judgmental and inclusive and want you to be in the show, it's like, how do we change that status quo other than just having more non-binary people out in theater, having them be a part of the creative process, like, all the things? I don't know. I think one thing is, and I, this is, like, really, really big, is we just need new material yeah like i love the revivals as much as everyone else i was really honored to be part of the music man but how old is that show yeah you know and being part of head over heels it's like a quite new show and most of the characters in it are like trans or queer or other things you know being part of that show was incredible just because of the diversity of the people in it there were explicitly trans roles and so we needed to find trans actors to fill those roles yeah and several of the roles were just played by trans actors because they were like oh this show is really queer i love yeah. it i want to be part of it and i think we really need new shows we need new material that is inherently inclusive to different actors different performers i agree I'm going to do a horrible job summarizing this, but a lot of Miller's research was about the, like, gender norms and the boxes that you get put into really, really young, where, like, a lot of people who have been doing theater their whole lives got either put into the category of you pass well enough as, like, straight, cis, whatever, that we're going to cast you as, like, the ingenue, and I was put in that category. Mm -hmm. But then there were a lot of people who, even from a really young age, where they had no awareness of their queerness, of Mm -hmm. their, like, transness or gender transgressiveness, um, they were being assigned roles, like, the old woman or the old man or, like, whatever, like... The flamboyant. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, From a really young age, before they knew anything about themselves. Yeah. Um, and so it's a really interesting, like, self-exploration where, like, some people were visibly, somehow, intangibly, always here in that way, Mm -hmm. and visibly so. And also other people, like, I know a lot of people were really surprised when I came out. A lot of people were really shocked, because I did a good enough job of hiding it Mm -hmm. and fitting into the box. Yeah, that's, I I agree. I feel like that's circling back to just the idea of we need more material, because... The material written today is going to better represent the people of today. Completely. And it's just going to hopefully be a lot more diverse. And we need, like, creators of all different creeds. It can't just be yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber. God, no. <laughs> it, can't, it can't just be Andrew. <laughs> no to Andrew Lloyd Webber, but no! It can't just be him. He can't be the only voice in the room. Yeah. Um, last yeah. thing I wanted to ask, or kind of touch on briefly, even though we neither of us prepared because I didn't tell you what we were going to do... So it's on me, but I think I wanted for it to be a little, like, recurring thing, because I do care a lot about trying to make music more accessible, and I thought it'd be fun to at least try to break something down and kind of, like, explain why that is about, like, a certain piece or a concept in music to kind of layman and, like, try to, to break it down. But the thing I... We can also pick something else if you think something else could serve it, but I will never forget... Over the summer when you were when we were hanging out, when you showed me that tiny desk of like 
You know what I'm talking about? I don't Which one? Is it super organism? That one. Absolutely. Do we feel good about it? I always will feel good about that. Okay, well, I feel like this is great because I also need to explain like an explanation. Um Fantastic. Why? Why, why the weird instrumentation? Why the the weirdness? <sighs> okay, well I'm not a member of Superorganism, so all I can do is take my best guess. But okay. I can tell you why I personally connect with it. Okay. Okay. I saw that tiny desk for the first time uh, maybe three years ago, four, something like that. And I remember being struck as soon as it started by how much fucking fun it looked. And, you know, it's it's a large group for one thing, like larger than most bands, maybe that's why they're called Superorganism. Mm. Um, but it's like eight or nine people all just like doing their own weird respective things. So like there's like, there's traditional instruments, like there's a guitarist and there's a keyboardist and there's a singer, but there's also things like a toy car yeah. that they like twist around <laughs> a microphone and to get like some really interesting distorted noises. And then, like you said, there's literally like soda being poured and then yeah. bubbles being blown into that soda. So weird. Um, and I also have ADHD and I think something about that is very satisfying to me, <laughs> like all these like noises that are not meant to be in music. Yeah, it's stimulating. Um, yeah. Um, and it's just very satisfying to me to make music from things that are not instruments. Cool. Um, because it kind of explores like what are in instruments, you know? Well, I feel like that's honestly, when you break it down like that, it makes it feel pretty accessible to non-musicians because they yeah. can relate to just like making some noise with some things that are lying around like you don't have to play guitar you don't have to play yeah. the trumpet you can literally like really get some don't. household objects and like have fun with your friends and that's legit music it is and especially like at mcgill in the jazz conservatory half of what i would do with my jazz friends was get drunk and mess around with like weird household items with our instruments like one of my friends fully like his whole thing was taking a knife and tying a string around it and Whoa. then like playing open chords on Whoa. his guitar and like using the knife to like play <laughs> that sounds dangerous oh well not like a like not like a sharp knife like a butter knife oh okay yeah. Like um, living on the edge. Is, no. I mean, listen, we're on the cutting edge of jazz, but not in that way. Okay, good, good, um, good. Yeah, but I don't know. I definitely think, like, I have a whole playlist on Spotify of, um, it's called Pots Falling in a Cabinet. Okay. And that's just, like, music that features non-music sounds. Yeah. I love it. Pretty fun. Yeah. Well, people check out the tiny desk super organism i was like so taken aback but yeah i don't know maybe people will really connect to it i feel like it's honestly maybe it's like i think also because i come from a conservatory environment it's so the opposite that for me i was like what like this is <laughs> blasphemy but honestly i feel like it's a you, you can come from that environment and then really appreciate its beauty and you can also come from an environment with zero musical training and be like oh like these are just people having fun and messing around and that's beautiful and also it feels like performance art in many ways yeah like it's not just a song to be listened to it's also an experience to be had 
which is why I love Tiny Desk. It's such a vibe. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You've been lovely. Thank you. You're lovely. Okay. Well, love you and I adore you. <laughs> I love you. Oh my God.